chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 1, 400 years have gone by. God was silent for those 400 years. He didn't speak to anyone. Why, why those 400 years? I don't know, but maybe, maybe it's like at, at, at a wedding when we're all sitting down talking and then someone taps a glass and silence, we're about to make speeches and we have a period of silence because it's an important you know, message coming, speech coming, and maybe God was saying, silence, Jesus is coming. I want you to get ready for the coming of Jesus. And maybe that's why we had that 400 years of silence between Malachi and Matthew chapter 1. God wants everybody to be attentive to what is happening um, next. There's been more than 300 prophecies in the Old Testament for this event, 300 times over those thousands of years the birth of Jesus was predicted. And so we come here to Matthew chapter 1, this genealogy leading to the birth of Jesus Christ. Written by Matthew. Matthew's name means gift of God. Um, we have a Matthew here this morning. So if we call him Matthew, he's gift of God. If we call him Matt, he's a gift. So he probably likes the Matthew. He's a gift of God too. And uh, that's what Matthew's name means. And Matthew was a tax collector by his own admission. He describes his calling in Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. Um, in chapter 10, verse 3, he tells us he was a tax collector. He gave up everything to follow Jesus. We read in Luke chapter 5, verse 29, that Matthew was one of the original 12 disciples. It's Luke who tells us that he was... Um, uh, a ta sorry, L Luke tells us as a tax collector he would have been, he would have been a, a despised man. He would have been seen as a Jew working for the Romans at the time and skimming off some of that money to line his own pockets. But Matthew was a humble man, and when he came to faith in Jesus, he didn't blow his trumpet about the things he achieved. Luke tells us that he prepared a large meal for Jesus, one time, Matthew doesn't tell us that himself, yet Matthew tells us he was a tax collector. Wouldn't have been the coolest thing to be telling people at the time. But his life was transformed when Jesus came into his life, um, and he followed Jesus the rest of his days. Of course, 2,000 years on, we still have tax collectors, um, and this is a modern-day <laughs> version of a tax collector. Um, unlike in those days, we love John. And unlike in those days, he's not skimming off. I don't think, John, you're skimming off a little bit for yourself. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, if you see him coming in a new Mercedes someday, you might think he might be doing a bit of that skimming. Matthew wrote this book about 50 AD. Some, sometimes I, I wonder that the interval of time that passed between Jesus' life and, and the writing of the Gospels, would people have been forgotten? And we were with friends, Brian and Ruth, the other evening, and Brian uh, is a farmer involved in a co-op, and it's a, a milk suppliers cooperative. He was telling me they celebrated 40 years recently of the co-op, but he wrote the history, but it's 40 years since it started, but he was there at the start of it. Um, he was a young man then, so 40 years isn't that long. He remembered all how it started, and so this isn't that long since Jesus was here on earth that Matthew wrote this, and Matthew writes to the Jews because he wants to convince them that Jesus is the Christ, that the Jesus spoken about, the Messiah spoken about in the scriptures they had, this is him. He has now come. 
and he's trying to convince them of that. Uh, he talks a lot about the kingdom of God. There are 54 references to the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God in the New Testament. 32 of these are made here by Math Math Matthew. He refers to Jesus as the Christ, same word as Messiah. And so maybe it makes sense. Matthew being a tax collector was a logical man with figures. And so the genealogy, he's trying to convince them. You look at the genealogy, he's saying, you'll see that Jesus is the Messiah. It makes sense if you go through it from beginning to end. Now, out just out of interest, in the Gospel of Luke, there's a genealogy as well. And you'll notice it's not quite the same because Matthew is giving the genealogy to Joseph's line, but most commentators would say that Luke gives the genealogy to Mary's line, although it begins in Luke with Joseph, the son of, um, and that seems a bit confusing, um, the son of Heli, and how can that make sense? Because here, Jacob was the father of Joseph, how could Heli be his father as well? It seems commentators would say the tradition of the time was to list the genealogy under Joseph's name because he was the head of the household, although um, the, this man, Heli, would have been Mary's father, her, her, her dad. Um, remember, though, of course, that Joseph is not the biological father of Jesus. He was the adoptive father. God was the father of Jesus. And in Isaiah 9, verse 6, we read, to us a child is born, to us a son is given. So there's two different words used here. A child is born, Jesus was born, physical birth by Mary. But also he was given, that's a term used to adopt. He was adopted, Joseph was his adoptive father, and Jesus fulfills both of those when he was born. But what's interesting, of course, is that both Mary and Joseph both both trace their ancestry back to King David, although through two different lines. Now, again, it's, uh, it's not of particular big importance, but if you look at the genealogy in Luke, you will find that the genealogy um, from Abraham to David is the same in both accounts. But when we get to David, uh, it changes, and in Luke, it goes by Nathan, David's son, and continues on, that would be Mary's line. And in Matthew, it goes to Solomon, David's son also, and we end up with Jacob and then Joseph, who was the father, uh, the earthly father of Jesus Christ. That's only of interest. If you're reading those, sometimes they seem conflicting and you think they don't make sense, but that's somewhat of an explanation as to why they're not quite the same. Anyway, all of that said, what can we learn from all of these names this morning? Uh, we'll check out some of the characters, not all of them, because we'll be here all day, uh, but we'll look at some of them and we'll see what we can learn. If we were planning a genealogy, as Sibren said this morning to us all, would we have picked all of these characters if we had that choice? And God did. We wouldn't, but God did. He was able to choose who he wanted. We would probably have chosen upright, outstanding people, characters we would look up to in society, shining examples of how to live for God. Wouldn't that make sense? So in the hundreds and thousands of years afterwards, people could look at these characters and say, yes, we should live as these people, the finest members of society, people that we would look up to. You would think that's who we would choose. That may be who God should have chosen. But far from it. 
God makes some very unusual choices in this list this morning. And what we'll see is that God uses imperfect people to fulfill his perfect plans. And that should encourage us because God uses people like you and me. We have here Abraham. Now we can learn so much from Abraham. Don't get me wrong. Abraham had amazing faith when God first called him. He wasn't worshipping God. And he followed a God he didn't know to a land he didn't know. He didn't know where he was going. He upped and left. It was a huge step of faith and, and lived a life primarily of very strong faith uh, in God. But he messed up as well. He's in here. He messed up. He was a liar. He lied twice about his wife to save himself because in those days, if, say, a king fancied a, a woman, well, then if she killed her husband, he was free to marry her. Abraham thought he might be killed. So once to Pharaoh and once to King Gerar, he lied and said, Sarah is my sister. Now, technically, she was uh, somewhat related to him. But he was uh, failing to, to trust God's promise, his very clear promise to him. He thought he could help God out. He thought he could help God out when there seemed to be no son. How was he going to be uh, his descendants like the, stars, uh, the sand of the sea? He had no son. And so he listened to Sarah and he slept with his housemaid, Hagar, and Ishmael was born. Uh, and a lot of hardship and grief through that story. He let God down. He didn't always trust God. He should have, but he didn't. Jacob, he was a deceiver. Um, and that's what his name means. It means deceiver. He deceived his brother out of his birth, birthright because he thought, too, he could help God out, although God had promised that of those two twins, Jacob and Esau, the older would serve the younger. But nonetheless, Jacob thought, this isn't happening. I better do something about it. He deceived his father from his blessing. He deceived his father-in-law, Lehi. We read the story of sheep and goats and so on. And he deceived his father-in-law again to get the best of the flock. He's not a good man. He's into this deceiving and trying to work things out himself and, and promote his own life. Until God gets hold of his life and literally wrestles, physically wrestles with him. And then Jacob trusts in God. It's amazing God changes his name to Israel. And Israel means governed by God. Isn't that a beautiful change? Your name meant deceiver, now your name means governed by God. Uh, and that's a beautiful uh, illustration of what we are when we follow him. We are governed by God. And a nation ends up being named after him. But not until God got hold of his heart and changed him. Then we have Judah listed here. The father, we're told, of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Seems okay, you'd think that Tamar implied here was his wife. One day, however, Judah had lost his own wife. She had died, and he was on the road, and he sees a prostitute on the side of the road. And he slept with her. He shouldn't, of course, as one of God's um, of, as one, one, one of God's to, to, to sleep with a prostitute. Uh, and he did, and she gives birth to Perez and Zerah. And her name is Tamar, but she is his daughter-in-law. And in a complicated story where uh, Tamar's husband, Judah's son, died, um, then her, his brother was to become his wife. He didn't want to. Judah said, well, I have another young son. Wait till he's old enough, and he can become your husband. And the years went by, and she didn't see him coming. He wasn't being given to her as a husband. So she decides, too, to take things into her own hands. 
until she deceives him as well by dressing up as a fine prostitute. And this mess uh, happens as a result. Strange characters, you would say, to be including in here. Then we have Rahab. Rahab is a, a Gentile prostitute. She wasn't even a Jew, and she's listed here. She lived in Jericho, and she ran a brothel. And when the spies of uh, God's people came into the land to spy out the land, they stay at her home. And she hears more about God from them. She obviously has heard about God already, and she has decided to trust in the God of Israel. And so she asked those spies to promise to spare her life when they come back again. And she puts that scarlet red cord on the window of her house so they can identify her house when they come back. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it, of the blood of Christ and of how Christ rescues us. And when the Jews come back, they spare her life. And here, in this account we read today, she marries a Jew called Salmon. Or Salmon and she becomes, as you see, becomes a follower of Christ, of God. She is a hero, isn't she, in this line here. But she's a Gentile, you know, and, and a woman at that. Ruth, a Moabite, a Gentile also. She's included here. The Moabites were children of incest, because it goes back to the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. When Sodom and, and Gomorrah being destroyed, um, and Lot was rescued from Sodom and Gomorrah, well, he had two daughters at the time, uh, and they thought, well, when Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed, all the men died. Well, there's no men left. How will we continue the family line? They get their dad drunk one night, they sleep with him, and they each uh, have a child as a result. It's incest, Ma Malav and Ammon. They become the Moabites and the Ammonites, children of incest. And from them, Ruth is born, a Moabite, and yet she's included she becomes a woman who trusts in God, follows him, and she's included in the genealogy here. And there's David, of course. David, uh, who broke at least three of the commandments. He coveted his neighbor's wife. He committed adultery, and he committed murder as well. And yet God still used him. We read that David was a man after God's own heart. Because God is a gracious God, full of love and compassion. And it's not the end for us when we mess up and when we let him down, even when we do it again and again. Because when we come back and repent, um, God forgives and he continues to use us, as happened in David's life. Solomon, he's here. He started out so well, didn't he? He sought God for wisdom and he followed God, but he became a womanizer. Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Now, men, can you imagine buying Christmas presents for 1,000 women? That would be some task. 700 wives and 300 con concubines he had. And idolatry reached an all-time high in Israel when he was king. He continued to worship God, but he worshipped all these other idols as well. He made bad decisions, including mar marrying Pharaoh's daughter, which undermined his role as a leader. And it was be the beginning of a downward spiral for Israel, which had reached its peak under the rule of David. We have Rehoboam in here. When Solomon died, Rehoboam became king, not a good king. So we read in uh, 1 Kings chapter uh, 11. I'm going to read these verses because they're interesting. In, in 1 Kings chapter 11, 
um, verse 43 of this king we read um, in first Kings chapter 11 verse 43 we read I've got the um, wrong verse but Rehoboam was an evil king who exploited um, his people he taxed them heavily so he could spend money on himself and the people didn't want him to be king in the end and it says here in chapter 12 verse 14 the king answered the people harshly he had been given advice to to work with the people to help the people by his advisors but he rejected that the king answered the people harshly rejecting the advice given to him by the elders and he followed the advice of young men and said my father made your yoke heavy i will make it even heavier my father scourged you with whips i will scourge you with scorpions and he didn't listen to the people and the, the nation began to fall apart he was a divisive man and the kingdom under his uh, time divided into two it's where it all started to go wrong and you had israel and judah re resulting it only took a few years after solomon's death for this to happen and the ten tribes in the north formed their own government and were called israel their capital was samaria and the two southern tribes judah and benjamin they remained loyal to the house of david centered in jerusalem they became known as the kingdom of judah and that's where we get the word jew i didn't know that until i prepared for this that's where we get the word jew originally and that division continued for 160 years then the assyrians defeated the kingdom of israel sending it into exile and then the kingdom of judah lasted another 160 years and then the Babylonians conquered them and drove them into exile. But you can see that downward spiral and that falling apart all began under this king, Rehoboam. And finally, I'll just pick one more from here, Manasseh. Um, in 2 Kings uh, chapter 21, we read about this king, not a good king either. Um, he became king at the age of 12. He reigned for 55 years, so he had a lot of influence in Israel. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, is what we read. He rebuilt idols and worshipped them. It's hard when you read this because what had happened before that, Hezekiah was, um, he was Hezekiah's son. Hezekiah was a godly man who did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And the Bible tells us that Hezekiah trusted in the Lord. Now Hezekiah went about demolishing all the idols, the Asherah poles. He got rid of them all. Then his son Manasseh comes and he rebuilds them all again and he leads the people away from God. We read, moreover, Manasseh also shed so much innocent blood that he filled Jerusalem from end to end. Besides the sin that he had caused Judah to commit, so, they, so that they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. This guy wasn't a good guy. What can we learn then from all these different characters that God has chosen to put in this genealogy? Firstly, your background does not define you. Maybe you've looked at your life sometimes and think, how could God make use of me? Maybe you think I've done such terrible things in my life, things I couldn't tell anybody. Uh, how could God ever love me or want me? Maybe you feel I've let him down so many times in the one area. How could God make use of me? I've gone too far, maybe you think. Look at the people here that God has chosen to use. Liars, adulterers, cheaters, schemers, prostitutes, 
It seems incredible, really, doesn't it, that those are the people God has chosen in the line to bring Jesus into this world. It is incredible because God is a God of grace and limitless love and mercy and compassion, which he shows towards us. He alone, he alone can turn our lives around as he did for the people here. Jacob, whose name meant deceiver, becomes Israel, whose name means governed by God. David, who committed adultery and murder, and uh, we read of him in Acts 13, verse 22. After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him. That's interesting. God testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Quite incredible, isn't it? He will do everything I want him to do. So don't let your past hold you back from enjoying what God has planned for you and what he can do with your life. Secondly, God has plans for a purposeful and meaningful life for all who follow him. God has plans for each of the people we read about here. And I want to take one. I want you to put yourself in Rahab's shoes. Imagine being her. She lived in a culture where women had no rights. They were the property of their husbands. And if they hadn't a husband, they were destitute. And she was a prostitute, so she was at the very bottom of the ladder in her day. Imagine being her waking up some morning, looking at your life, thinking to yourself, my life's got no meaning, no prospects, no impact, no purpose. Who will remember me? What do I matter? What's the point in keeping going? Isn't it amazing that thousands of years down the road, today, millions, billions of people around the world learn from this heroic saint? Why? Because Rahab chose to trust in God, and she chose to follow him and to obey him. As soon as she did, he began to work out the purposes he had for her life. And among others, she's in the line of the birth of Jesus Christ. And her name is there forever, as long as we will live on this earth. A meaningful and purposeful life is found simply in trusting him and obeying him above anything or anyone else. Thirdly, God uses every sort of person in his plans. Rich, poor, respectful, the lowest of society. They're all in here in Matthew chapter 1. He used Abraham, David, Solomon, highly respected people in their day, still highly respected today. Genesis 13 verse 2 says, Abraham was very rich in cattle and silver and gold. Today he'd have a large property uh, list of properties. He'd have shares in some of the big tech sector companies. He'd be a billionaire probably. He was looked up to and respected in his society at the time. The Queen of Sheba came to check out Solomon's wealth. And we read, she said to the king, the report I heard in my country about your achievements and wisdom is true. But I did not believe these things until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half was told to me. In wisdom and wealth, you have far exceeded the report I heard. Solomon was looked up to and respected. But in here is Rahab, a prostitute, and no one looked up and respected her, I can assure you. They looked down and despised her. She had no prospects, no Ruth. Where was Ruth going to end up? Going back to the land of Israel, a Moabite 
he likely thought, I have no prospects here. These people will probably reject me and I will die in poverty. She's in here too. God uses them all. God uses them all. Not just the poor and the lonely, those with no chance in life that you pick up and use, but the wealthy and respectful as well. That's fantastic, isn't it? Isn't that one of the beautiful things about being here this morning? We're all from different cultures, backgrounds, different parts of the world. We have a whole spectrum of jobs here this morning. But when we sit here together and fellowship together, those things don't matter. We're united in Christ. We recognize we are here because of his love and his grace and his mercy in our lives. And because he is our king and he is our God, we recognize he has plans for all of us. It doesn't matter where we come from, what we do. We are valued in his kingdom. We have a job to do. We have purpose in our lives. And fourthly, God will accomplish his plans. You see, when I was looking at these verses, I was thinking to myself, it, it kind of makes sense. I can understand why he would put in people who follow God, they worship God, yet they messed up, they made mistakes. I could see why they're in there. But then I'm finding uh, people in here like Rehoboam and Manasseh, they didn't contribute to God's kingdom. They detracted from it, didn't they? They pulled people away from God. They were evil men. Why are they in here? They're not helping the cause, I thought to myself. And I realized, why is God putting them in here? Well, I don't know, but he's showing us one thing at least, that God's plans will succeed no matter what. And there may be those who fight against God, who speak against God, who will not believe him. That will not stop or impede God's plans for us, for our lives, or for his plans for this world. Because we find, as we read down to the verses, it's beautiful when we come to the end of it, isn't it? We read in verse 16, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. That is amazing. Those few words are amazing. Through all the turmoil of those people's lives, all that went on, we come to these beautiful words. God's plan is fulfilled. And you know it's taken 4,000 years since his plan first came into place back with Adam and Eve. 4,000 years have passed. That's a long time. Slowly, 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 God's plan was there, but it came to fruition nonetheless. And we sit here today under the benefit of God's plan when we put our trust in Jesus Christ. So through some of the most suspect and some of the greatest characters we'd want to meet, God's plan has worked. And we uh, rejoice in being his redeemed this morning. I don't know if you, if you um, have seen in Instagram, when I look at the Instagram feed sometimes, this one comes up, and it's this person speaking 100 years from now. Have you seen that? And it says something like 100 years from now, you know, the car you drive is not going to matter at all. And the house you lived in will probably not be demolished. And there'll be other people around. And there might be a photograph of you in someone's wall. But uh, a generation after that, that will be forgotten as well. Uh, and it's a bit depressing in a way because you think by the time that's finished, it, it's uh, when, when you've the whole thing read. No, it has some good points. It says, you know, therefore you should make the best of every day, focus on what's important, and so on. But nonetheless, the message is pretty, pretty uh, down, isn't it? Because you think, well, what's the point of it all? I'll, I'll be forgotten completely. But that's not true. Rahab 
probably could have read that if she'd had Instagram in her day. But the fact is, she hasn't been forgotten. I'm not saying we'll all be remembered, we'll all be written somewhere where people will read about us. But the fact is, in God's kingdom, what we do with our lives does matter. And it's not forgotten. It's part of his plan for all of us. So Rahab, her life, and the part she played, well, we equally have a part to play. Uh, and, and so when you see that um, clip again on Instagram, you remember as we follow God, our lives have value and meaning, purpose that does last into eternity, which one day we'll see when we're with him in heaven. Because the fact of the matter is, what we're learning from these verses this morning, God uses imperfect people to fulfill his perfect plan. And that should encourage us uh, because he chooses people like you and me to serve him. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together.